Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey ladies, two things before we get started today. One, um, the sound quality is not the best in some areas. Uh, Nancy had some background noise. And two, just a reminder, if there's a topic we talk about and you're not keen on, just fast forward and listen to another podcast episode. I know for some of you, this one's going to be one. Hey guys, today I'm here with Nancy. Nancy is the author of the acclaimed Choices. Nancy Byrne is set to make a difference. Majoring in psychology, we were just talking about this right before we started uh, with the intro, majoring in psychology at the University of Colorado for both her undergrad and graduate work. She has worked for an adolescent psychiatric treatment hospital, a women in need of group support program, a rape crisis center. That's some major work right there. That's, That's something I would love to do, but I'd have to be in a good space to do it. Um, a major police department as the director of victim services unit and several high-risk shelters for adolescents. Nancy is a spiritual slash psychic reader and channeler for the prestigious American Association of Psychics and graduated from the Aspen Program for Psychic Development with certification in psychic development, spiritual mediumship, medical intuition, Reiki master's teacher, Uh, As Nancy says, it is my soul's desire to give back to the universe and to serve by assisting others on their life's journey. That is a powerful bio, Nancy. Welcome to the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, I'd love to have you take it back. When you um, applied to be on the podcast, you talked about some things you had gone through in your childhood. Um, especially when it came to your father. Could you share a little bit about that? Minus any graphic details, just so we don't trigger anybody on the podcast, but like maybe like an overview. Okay. Well, I, um, I was just born into a, I guess, a, a pretty dysfunctional family. Um, I, um, you know, it seems like the, my first memories um, are, you know, being a little kid in a diaper and being beaten by my dad. <laughs> um, um, and then um, it, they continued until um, actually I I felt like a police officer saved my life. Um, and my dad just, you know, um, he, he beat me and he, and he raped me, um, you know. Um, and so it was, um, you know, I, I just never felt like I belonged. I didn't feel accepted um, or loved for sure. And, um, but you know what, Megan, this sounds crazy to say this. I honestly and truly am grateful for every experience I've ever been through because it's made me who I am today. And I've learned that I'm, that I can really, I'm a survivor and you can make it through anything. Um, I had an experience when I was about 10 and a half. I guess we belonged to the Roman Catholic Church and we lived um, catacorner. It was right across the street from us. And one um, evening, it was late at night, and my dad had gone to town drinking. And so I snuck out of the house and went to church. And I was 
just praying and praying and praying that God would please. I, I walked into the church. It was totally dark in Rocky Ford, Colorado. You know, they don't lock the doors. And except for two penance candles that were lit, I walked up to the very front pew and I was just, I knelt down and I was just begging God to please, please let me die. And my rationale is that there are so many people that want to live and they die. So why couldn't he let me die and let them live? Right. And I felt a hand on my shoulder and I thought it was a priest and he was going to take me home and I'd get beat up again. And I turned around and there was nobody there. And so, you know, being about 10 and a half or maybe I was 11, I don't know. I, I, I looked over and I actually got on the pew and looked over to see if anyone was hiding behind the, you know, behind the pew. When I turned back to look at the altar, it was lit up in the most beautiful golden light. It was just like, it, it, the only thing I can say about it, it was like it permeated my whole body, every inch of my body, my soul. It was just like, oh my God. And at that instant, I really, even as a kid, I felt so embarrassed that I had been given this amazing, wonderful gift of life. And I was throwing it back in spirit's face because it was just too hard. And I remember I ran out of the church and um, went back home to make sure I wasn't caught. But, um, you know, the beatings didn't stop. Nothing stopped. It was just that I had this, uh, this knowing that I was loved by, you know, somebody greater than my mom and dad. And that, just seemed to make it a lot easier for me, you know, and I've had, oh, I've had so many experiences, I can't even begin to tell you, um, you know, I really love kids, I just, I, I've always wanted to work around kids and stuff, and um, when I worked for social services, I, I was in, um, well, it was child welfare at the time, and um, I lived in Colorado on this, you know, um, four and a half acre um, little ranch and um, I had just my I had just gotten a divorce and I was really feeling down and like oh god life wasn't even worth living and um, and I think that divorce getting a divorce was almost worse than my childhood but because it was so hard I felt like I didn't have an identity you know I I'd always been a wife and I'd always been a mother and now my kids were growing up and I wasn't a wife and um, you know I had I, I didn't know what I liked to do because I always did whatever my husband wanted to do anyway in Colorado we used to have some really really bad severe storms and um, spring storms and um, so about three weeks before this storm happened I was looking, I was sitting on the back deck and I was watching, um, our neighbors had two little girls about three and a half or maybe and five. And their dad was putting up a trampoline for them. And it was like this big, huge celebration for the whole family. Um, the little girls were carrying the poles to him and bringing the tools and he was um, cementing the poles, you know, putting them in cement to make because of the harsh storms we got. And um, I guess the mom, they were drinking lemonade or something. It was like the whole day. It was the little girls were chattering and chattering. They were so excited about that trampoline. So three days, fast, three weeks later, fast forward, we're having this big storm. And lightning is just crashing all around us. 
and it's thundering and it's just a torrential downpour. And I thought, you know, this storm just kind of exemplifies my, the way I'm, my life, you know, it just kind of sucks. <laughs> and um, movement caught the corner of my eye and I looked out the window and these two little girls were outside in this hailstorm and they were picking up the pole, uh, the metal poles of the, for their trampoline. And I was like, oh my God, they're gonna be killed. You know, I called their home and um, there was no answer. And I thought, I'm just nervous. I dialed again and there was no answer. So I jumped in my car and I went over and you know, being the adult, <laughs> I, the first thing I said was, what are you two girls doing out here in a lightning storm? Get in the house this minute. And the little one, you know, just looked at me. She didn't say anything, but her body language said, she put her hand on her little hip. Her body language said, you're not my mommy. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so I quickly changed my tone and, um, you know, said, where's your mommy? And the older one said, oh, she's visiting Connie. She'll be back in a minute. And um, I said, listen, you could be hurt out here in this storm. I said, if you, if you go into the house and promise me that you won't come out again until your mommy gets here, I promise I will pick up all the metal poles for you and I'll stack them underneath the awning of your house so your daddy can find them, okay? And I think the older one was really relieved. She was grabbing the younger one and they went in the house and I did. I picked up all the poles, every single piece. I even picked up lug nuts and everything and I was drenched and I I got home and I just wanted I changed my clothes and I just wanted to get some soup or something. And move you know, all of a sudden it started hailing. And within just a matter of it seemed like it seemed like just a few minutes, we had about Oh gosh, about four and a half or five inches of golf sized hailstones on our back deck. And I looked out again and there were the two little girls. The younger one was neither of them were wearing shoes, but the younger one just had her little panties on. The older one had a little tank top and some shorts. And they must have found something because the older one had her hand out like she was carrying something in her hand. And I thought, they're going to get killed and without ever thinking. And this is the first time I have ever done this. I pointed my finger and I screamed, I command you to stop this storm now. And the storm stopped. And I was like, do, 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 do. You know, I said, I respectfully thank you for stopping this storm. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, who am I to command the hand of God? And I'm just telling you this story because it's, I just think it's so important for everybody to know. Spirit said, you are the hand of God, Nancy. You are all the hand of God. I am just a spirit. No one can see me with their physical eyes. No one can touch me with their physical hands. No one can hear me with their physical ears. I can't physically wipe the tears from a child's face, but you in your flesh and blood bodies can do all that and more. If I were to try to build an orphanage, overnight it would be destroyed because people would think it was some evil spirit. 
But if one of you in your flesh and blood bodies were to build an orphanage, it would stand. I need you more than you need me. And basically, you know, we're walking each other home. And I just want the listeners to know that I, I just feel like this is such a tremendous honor that spirit needs us more than we need him or her or the divine. It's just we walk around and we berate ourselves and we think we're the stupidest people on the face of the earth and we're worthless and we'll never amount to anything. And here, the greatest force in the universe needs us, you know, to help each other. And I think it's just really important that we all know that. Um, I used to think I didn't even deserve to breathe the same air that other people breathe, you know, because I was the black widow and the black sheep and nobody would ever love me. And I grew up, I was, I was scared of my own shadow. I, I'd been so fear-based all my life. And I got to tell you, it wasn't until I wrote the book and moved to Whidbey Island that that changed. I was terrified absolutely terrified of water I would have a panic attack around it I like to stick my toes in the water and but I don't want to be in it I don't want to be over it and I certainly don't want to be under it and um, after I wrote the book um, I was going to see a massage therapist and she um, said Nancy Matt and I have a vacation home on Whidbey Island why don't you you and your husband come and visit us and I'll have a book signing for you Oh my God, the bells in my head went off. I didn't even think of the word. I mean, I didn't even hear the word island. I, all I could think of was book signing. And so I went home and told Phil, and he's really well-traveled and I'm not. You know, he said he'd heard of Whidbey Island and he heard it was just paradise, just beautiful. But he'd never been here. And so, you know, we had the time. Why didn't we just, you know, go? So I... um. We got, we got airplane tickets, and then three days before we were supposed to come here, um, Michelle called and said, hey, Nancy, she said, I'm really sorry, but I can't have a book signing for you. Matt's getting transferred. Um, we're going to be moving to Whidbey Island permanently, uh, and I have to get our house and park ready for sale, she said, but I just love your energy. I just love it, and I want it in my home, so come and get the keys. And I'll give you the code. And, you know, we don't have to be there. Just come and stay and have a good time. It, you'll love it. It's a magical place. I was so bummed. I just wanted to cancel the whole thing and just go for a walk up in the mountains. And Phil said, Nancy, the plane tickets are non-refundable. We're going. So it still didn't occur to me, Island, you know. I mean, we've been to Maui, but we have we've flown to it. I never, I guess, put that it's you know, that we're flying over water or anything. And so um, when he, when we got here and he started going on to the ferry, I had, I almost had a full-blown panic attack. I was like, no, honey, no, no, I can't do this, Phil, no. Let's just drive there. And he said, Nancy, it's an island. We can't get there. And we don't have reservations anyplace else. It's tourist season. He said, we, we can't, probably can't find a place anywhere else. And so he drove onto the boat, and I was thinking, this is how my life is going to end, you know? We're going to crash. I'm going to be eaten by a whale or something, a shark. And I, my fingernails 
marks are still probably in the in the upholstery of that rental car. And Phil said, it only takes 20 minutes to get on the ferry. And I was thinking, yeah, that's how long it took for the Titanic to sink, too. I don't know how long it took for the Titanic to sink, but these are the stories we tell ourselves, you know, when we're fear-based. And um, I, I didn't enjoy the trip. I didn't look around. I spent the whole week sitting on the deck, uh, the outside deck of Michelle's house, looking at two little deer that she had that drank water out of her stream. And all I could think about was getting on that darn boat to get back home. And the minute we got home, I wrote an automatic writing to spirit. And I said, you're almighty God, you know everything. Why did you have Michelle invite me to go to Whidbey Island when you knew that she wasn't you know, going to have a book signing? And spirit said, I had Michelle invite you to Whidbey Island because that's where you're going to be moving. And I was like, Bet me, I'm not crazy. And um, so I I told Phil and he laughed and I said, I'm always spot on. I don't know how I could have been wrong. You know, I just, Phil said, well, maybe you're just still traumatized by the trip, honey. So I just, we just blew it off. But then I started having dreams about being on the island. And one of the dreams I had was um, I was swimming under the ocean along kind of the ocean's floor and I had a little blowfish on my left and there was a great white shark on my right and I could breathe underwater and I was looking at all the formations and all the different plant life and all the fish swimming around me and it was just it was just amazing I just I knew it was a dream but I felt like I was really really there and so I woke up and I did another writing to spirit and I said, I don't know if I was just traumatized by being on that ferry and knowing that I was on an island, but I thought you told me that you wanted me to move to Whidbey Island and I know that's not possible. And spirit said, you weren't wrong, Nancy. He said, Nancy, you still need to learn to let go and to trust. And I want you to be on the island by the end of the summer. And our book will flourish there and you will flourish there. So I showed Phil the note and he said, I'm not moving. He said, we've got it all here. Why would I ever want to move? And I said, and I said, well, Phil, I'm learning to trust in God and not man. And I'm moving. And he said, really You'd go without me? And I said, yes. And I, I can't believe I said that because, you know, I've always been so fear based. So, um, we put our house on the market. We came back to Whidbey Island and found an amazing home. And um, we're here. And every single day, we just, we're so grateful that we're here. And I have started walking with this group of women. It's called Ladies of the Beach. And they walk all the beaches on the island. And I am not scared at all. And, you know, we have been up. I thought it was just a walking. It's advertised as a walking, talking, eating group. Well, these women are crazy. I have been up to my up to my hips in water when they uh, underestimated the tide coming in, and there's been a cliff on one side of us, and there was nowhere for us to go. And I didn't have a panic attack. I wasn't scared. I knew that I was safe. And then one of the ladies said, I think we can crawl up here. We have to, you know, 
I'll jump up here and pull one up and we push each other's butts up and we can make it before it gets, you know, too deep. And that's what we did. And I, you know, and then another time, a couple of women and I got ahead of the group, not a couple, but about five of us. And we ended up in sink sand. And before you knew it, I tried to lift my leg and my foot wouldn't come up. And this other lady was sinking and she was down to her ankle. And she said, we have to run. We have to run out of here. And we couldn't lift up our feet. And Spirit said, drop to your knees and crawl, Nancy. It's the first time I ever instantly obeyed. I dropped to my knees and started. I could crawl because I guess you distribute your weight. And so I was screaming to all the other women to crawl, and they didn't, and they got out. So I honestly believe that sometimes experiences that happen to you happen to you for a really good reason. Um, you know, you learn that. You learn how strong you are. You learn how you can overcome anything and that and that there's a force out there that just honestly and truly loves you and cares about you. Um, Spirit told me that we're, we're never tested. I mean, I, I just, you know, I know I was raised in the Catholic Church, but I, I just believe, I don't believe that, I just believe in the universe or I call it spirit because, you know, I believe that we're all part of this amazing energy force. Um, spirit told me that he never tests us. Um, spirit already knows what you're capable of doing and what you're not capable of, of doing. And we would never be given something to do that we're going to fail miserably at and, and, you know, just lose all our confidence and, it may not seem like it at the time, Megan, but honestly, when you're getting these experiences, what you're really being presented with is an opportunity for tremendous growth and, and tremendous self-empowerment. You know, when you think that an obstacle is insurmountable and you're terrified to do something and you go ahead and do it anyway, your confidence just soars. It soars in you and it soars in spirit. And I think that if life was always a cakewalk, we would never push ourselves. We would never, you know, just try to, to be better and just force ourselves to do things. And I think that sometimes it's only by overcoming in our fear, in our you know, our despair that, that we can succeed and, and, and make better lives for ourselves. And also, you know, it's not like um, since I wrote the book or since I, you know, have had these experiences that, that I um, never go back and, and visit the swamp <laughs> because I do and I think we all do every now and then. But I tell you, I don't, go back there very often, and when I do, I don't stay very long. And I think sometimes, sometimes I think it's actually good for us to go back and, you know, do that because you think, oh man, I'm glad I don't live there anymore. You know, and you're so grateful for what you have. When you 
people say don't look back and I think you shouldn't look back either but when you compare how far you have come you know I I always tell people to journal um, and I'm sure as a you know psychology major you'll tell them that too someday when you're working with them because you just let your mind go blank and you just write and it's amazing you know you connect with your inner soul with your inner guidance the the wisdom that we have inside of us we really have all the answers and I I just feel like you know we spend so much time listening to the mindless chatter of everybody else around us and we're the only ones that have lived in our bodies for you know however many years we've lived in our bodies and um, we're the only ones that know what we've been through and how we feel and how we don't feel and I just feel like you know we just need to pay more attention and listen to our own inner guidance and not to everybody else around us. Um, because we do, we're the only ones that have all the answers and we're the only ones that know what's best for us. Um, so I just, you know, I want everyone to know that it's not, it's, we all have gifts, you know, uh, and sometimes there are different gifts. Um, a carpenter probably has a, a power drill and a power saw and all this other stuff. Um, uh, a plumber might have other tools. Uh, you know, a doctor has other tools. And so we all have different tools, but we have all been given tools to work with. It's not like these gifts aren't just for an elite few. They're not just for special people, you know, who have actualized, self-actualized, or they're for everybody. The moment we're born, we come into this world with everything we need to survive, to have happy, healthy, and prosperous lives. And we just, we forget. We get caught up in the stories, you know. I remember when I was um, in Colorado and all the people, you know, different women would get together and, and they'd be complaining about, oh, their husband or their kids or how li hard life is and everything. And so then, you know, it feels uncomfortable to say, gosh, everything's going really well for me right now. So you join in and you, you, you become part of that story. I think if we want to have better lives, we need to just change our stories because we can do that. We focus, we're addicted on on the bad parts of our lives. We're addicted to telling other people how horrible our lives are. And they're not, we all have something to be grateful for. I mean, just getting up in the morning. There's people that can't even get up in the morning. And another thing is that it's really, really important to be grateful for what you have. If you had a best friend and the only time you called upon your friend was when you needed help or you were just, you know, hanging from a cliff someplace, you wouldn't be a very good friend. And spirit actually wants to have a close relationship with each and every one of us. So make time, if you could just make time to just spend a few minutes of every day just talking about what's going on in your life, not that spirit doesn't know, but to include spirit in every aspect of your life. I've started, um, I've started, well, I call it automatic writing, but journaling, every time I have a question, every time, you know, there's a big 
big decision to make, and I always get the right answer. So um, it's just important to know that spirit wants us, you know, wants us to connect and be, have a friendship relationship. You know, not just not just call them when, oh my God, I'm stranded in the middle of the highway and my I have no way to, you know, my phone's dead and I can't get help. Please help me. Um, every aspect of your life, just, just communicate it with spirit. Well, I have a variety of people in my audience and some don't have the same sort of belief systems as others. Um, so I'd love to go back to your story. I feel like you skipped a big chunk of it. You went from 10, being in the church, feeling the touch on your shoulder to getting divorced and being on your own. And there was a whole bit of your story that people might be able to relate to that was kind of like skipped over. So we have about... Um, 17 minutes of the podcast. I'd love for you to share more of your story so people can relate whether their religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs align with yours or not. Yeah, I didn't know how much detail, like you said, you didn't want it to. Um, I don't want graphic detail like, okay, saying like I got raped or I got beat up is one thing, but going into like, this is how it happened. That's what I mean by graphic detail. Okay, okay. Um, well, like I said, my first memories were, I mean, um, you, you did, sorry for interrupting. You did say you got saved by a police officer earlier. I mean, what was, what did, what, what did that mean? Um, and maybe like a bit about your relationship because people don't get divorced out of nowhere. There had to have been something that happened. So maybe a little bit about those two things before we end the podcast. Okay. Well, um, when I was about, um, oh gosh, when I was in um, junior high, um, somebody from school had come over to borrow one of my papers because I always got straight A's in school. That's the only key I thought I had to get away from the family. And I was so excited that somebody would come over to my house and you know get the paper. And as soon as she left, dad started screaming at me, what is that whore doing in our house? You know, she's the biggest whore in Rocky Ford. And my um, mouth has always had a mind of its own. And so instead of, you know, a life-saving response, I said, well, Dad, if anyone knows who all the whores in town are, it'd certainly be you. And he smacked me in the face, told me he was sick of me, and told me to get out. And so I had his permission. I ran out the door. I was barefoot. And I ran to my... Um, principal's office and he wasn't there so I ran to my um, counselor's office and she said your dad's going to turn you into as a runaway and I said no Mrs. Carmen he told me honest I promise he gave me permission to leave he said to get out he didn't want to look at my face anymore so she she did take me to the police station and um, Mr. Fleet she must have got a hold of him because he was there and um, they were telling um, the chief of police you know what a sweet little girl I was that I was always coming to school with black eyes and um, you know bruises all over me and bloody lips and um, you know that I just I, I got good grades all the teachers loved me and um, then the chief 
told this young officer to go pick up my dad. He said he's probably at the Pickwick drinking. And so they went, and sure enough, that must have been where dad was because dad walked in, and I honestly and truly didn't even recognize him. He was smiling and kind of joking, and he just he just looked like a different person than the person, you know, that I lived with. Mm-hmm. And um, then um, he was telling them that he didn't know, you know, what was wrong with me. You know, I was always depressed. And, and you know, he tried his hardest to be a good dad and everything. And um, then the chief told the young officer to take us home. And so um, I just, I, I, I could, I was hysterical. I stood up and I said, no, please don't make me go home with him. He hates me. He wants to kill me because my dad had tried to kill me three times before. Um, And um, I said, can't you send me to reform school? And the police officer said, this is the best thing for you, Nancy. You know, you, you don't belong in reform school. And so when we were driving home, I was in the back seat. Dad was in the front with the police officer. And um, the police officer said, um, you know, sir, he said, um, we, can't go in, we can't go into your house without a, you know, a, an order. Um, he said, but um, we can check on your daughter when she's walking home from school or when she's at catechism. And he said, and um, he said, you better hope, he said, so, you know, for bruises and stuff like that. And he said, you know, so I hope that she doesn't accidentally fall down or hurt herself, you know, because you're going to be into, in a lot of trouble. And and dad said, no, no, I would never do that to my daughter. He said, you know, I think she's on drugs. She beats herself up and does these things so that she can tell people I did it. I think she's crazy. And the officer screamed at him and he said, she is a sweet little girl. Everyone, we've talked to everyone, says that. And you, sir, are nothing but a, <clears throat> um, he used a cuss word. And he said, uh, drunk. We cuss on this podcast all okay. the time. <laughs> he said, and you are nothing but a fucking drunk. And he said, you better hope that she doesn't hit herself or punch herself in the eye or anything like that. He goes, because we are going to put you in jail and we are going to throw away the key. He goes, do you understand? And my dad said, yes, I do. And the next morning when I woke up, I heard dad telling mom that, you know, that he hated me and he just wanted me dead more than anything in the world. But, um, you know, the officer was right. It wasn't worth spending the rest of his life in jail just to kill me. And the beating stopped. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so amazing. I, I really think that officer, I mean, I, you know, he really did. He, I, he, I think that, I mean, it just it couldn't be coincidental, coincidental that the beating stopped. But my dad had tried to, you know, to kill me uh, several different times as a child. And the thing is, you know, if a grown man is trying to kill a little kid, he's going to succeed. But my dad never succeeded. I mean, there was always, always somebody that came and, and helped me. And I, I really feel that it's spirit. You know, I what works for me may not work for somebody else. And I certainly am not trying to, you know, to push my beliefs on anybody. What I want you to know is that you have everything within you, you know, to have a better life. I mean, look at you, Megan. 
you're going to school and, and you you really I mean you're just very I know you can't be up every day of your life but this is something you have a goal and you know that you're worth it and you're tr you're trying to make something better of yourself and this is a big big thing for for you and I'm just very I think it's amazing you know sometimes we we give up on ourselves because we don't think we're smart enough we don't think we're strong enough we don't think we can do it but don't give up on yourself just no matter what you believe just don't give up on yourself um, my dad had tried to drown me at, at uh, Holbrook Lake one time he took a friend they called him Frostio they called his nickname was Frisky and um, he took he invited me to go and I was really pleased because dad didn't want me around and we had this inner tube and we were um, out in the middle of the lake and I couldn't swim dad was the only one that could swim out of our family and um, you know he took frisky because he, he always covered up for dad and made excuses for dad and really liked dad was a loyal friend to dad and like he said he could buy frisky a, a bottle of a whiskey and he'd do anything for him and so we're out in the middle of this lake and all of a sudden dad yanked the inner tube out from around me and he just swam off and I was like you know, I, I was trying to breathe and you can feel the water coming up your lungs and I was really scared and all of a sudden out of the blue um, Frisky I felt an arm around my waist and um, It was it was frisky. He was dog paddling to shore and when we got to shore dad the look on dad's face He was very surprised that you know frisky would save me and um he just, you know, he was laughing. Oh, I knew you would save her, Frisky. Oh, ho, ho, ho. And they just kept drinking, but Dad just kept glaring at me the whole time, you know. And um, so things like that happened every time he tried something. And I just feel that, you know, I could be just telling myself this, but I feel like we all have a purpose. And that's why, you know, somebody interceded on my behalf as a child because, I'm not supposed, to, I'm supposed to be here because we all have a purpose. So it's just, it may not be, um, I don't know, some people have said I'm Pollyannish, and I may be, but it's what works for me. And so I think we all have to do what works for us. No, I agree. I believe we all have a purpose as well. Whether it, some people think it has to be big and bold, like, you know, curing cancer or something like that, but it can be something seemingly insignificant, but it's not that causes a ripple effect that can affect generations from now. You know, you, maybe this, somebody listening is the parent to a child who's going to grow up to do something absolutely amazing and change the world. Or maybe that that child's child is going to do something. You know, it's this this little this butterfly effect that happens every time we touch somebody's lives. That even though we think that what we're doing might not be anything special, we all have a purpose and we all have a reason for being here. So we are almost out of time. I would love to have you wrap this up with. You know, what do you want to leave the inspired women audience with? What do you want them to know about you, your story, or anything at all? I would like them to know that 
you know, you have no idea how many people's lives you touch every day. You are absolutely correct. You don't have to, you know, cure cancer, do anything like that. Sometimes just a smile can change someone's entire life. Um, I remember when I was an undergrad, one of my professors told the story of, a, of somebody that was going to commit suicide, and he made a deal with God, you know, that if somebody just smiled at him, he wouldn't do it. And he said, if you were the only person that that man met that day, would you have saved his life? And I always remember that. A smile doesn't cost anything, and it means so much to someone who feels unloved and unworthy. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. I try to remember that I don't know what anybody's going through when I'm out in the world. Um, although there's a limit, right? There's only so much bad behavior you can put up with before you're like, no more boundaries. Um, but if you're out there and the person checking you out in the checkout line is cranky, um, maybe they're, they're not smiling at you. They're, you know, whatever. You don't know what happened that day. You don't know what happened in their lives or what they're going through that may make them act that way. And it's not like this is a person that you may ever see again. What is it going to hurt to just smile and say thank you and move on instead of like berating them or, you know, being rude, which I feel like so many people out there are just rude for no damn reason and it's unnecessary we're talking about other human beings here that we're dealing with on a daily basis and like you said one smile could change somebody's life one hi or one oh my gosh i love your shoes or you know that haircut looks beautiful on you you know things like that that seem like they're very small but they can be really big things for other people they can be. They can be. Just a, a sincere compliment. You know, that's sincere, but you can always find something to say about somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, they have a beautiful smile or you like their dress or that, that pink, you know, ribbon in their hair looks really cute. Or I, I, I just think it's really important for us to just realize that, you know, that we're all connected and what we do to one, we do to the, you know, we do to ourselves sometimes it's like um again in psychology he was talking about the plumbing in a house you know uh if if the you know the, the kitchen sink gets plugged up eventually it'll permeate throughout the whole house because the piping goes throughout the whole house you can't just say that that sink is a separate part you know the plumbing in the kitchen is a separate part pretty soon your pipes are bursting and you've got you know big problems so it's just important to just you know i i think to just be the best person you can be. And that's all anyone can expect from us. Right. And, and you just never know how it's going to affect somebody today. This morning I went to get some prescriptions and I didn't know I was supposed to fill out paperwork ahead of time. And the, everybody was really nice, which really helped the fact that, you know, it was irritating that I had to do those things. And no less than three people told me they loved my necklace today. And I was like that, my seemed small, but that really helped me get through like an irrit an irritating part of my day um, where I can reflect back and be like, oh, wow, like, you know, that was really nice of them to say that. And I, I keep rubbing the necklace because I'm like, yes, it is pretty. Um, so Nancy, I'd like to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. I hope that somebody listening finds value in it and inspiration to be able to move 
forward with their lives and their days. And hopefully people will understand that we all have a purpose. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.